please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 23. I'll be reading Luke 23 verses 13 through 25. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. So look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man! And release to us Barabbas! A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify Him! A third time, He said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they had asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Father, once again, may we fall upon the grace, the grace that Jesus purchased and that manifests itself by the work of Your Holy Spirit to see, to grasp, to understand, and to love the truth of Scripture. So help me to that end unfold it accurately to the glory of this wonderful sacrificial Savior. Amen. Beware of the relativism of our day. The teaching that is embedded in the psyche of our culture that believes there is no such thing as truth. Meaning, true Truth. Real, objective truth about anything. Whether it be about beauty, or justice, or good, or evil, or about God, or salvation, or the sinful state of every human soul. Beware lest you crucify your God and Creator 
in His incarnation, in His true humanity. Remember, if you've been with us, Pilate has already declared, and now we're going to see a few more times, I find Jesus innocent of these charges you brought against Him. There is nothing in Him that is guilty deserving death. And He goes back inside and looks at Jesus and He says, Are you the King of the Jews? What is it that you've done? These people want your blood. And Jesus said to him, My kingdom is not of this world. I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. And then here it comes. Here comes our culture of relativism through Pilate's lips. Truth. What is truth? Something nagged at Pilate. This man doesn't deserve death. But hey, no one really, after all, knows what true justice is or what truth is about even this situation. And so in the end, Pilate delivered Jesus over to be crucified. Beware of that relativism lest you crucify the Son of God. Beware of learning and learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Of sitting in church week after week, hearing and hearing and never grasping of seeing the truth right before your eyes, like Pilate had the truth standing before him, and never bowing and applying it. As James warns in James 1.22, be doers of the Word of truth, and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Alright, so let's pick up where we left off and give an overview quickly of the last 12 hours or so of Jesus' life that brings us up to our passage this morning. Remember, the night before He was arrested on the Mount of Olives, they brought Him into town and they brought Him straight to Annas, the high priest Emeritus' house, and there were others there and they grilled Him slugged him. And then after that short hearing, during the night they brought him over to Caiaphas' house. The sitting high priest, the president of the Sanhedrin, with a number of the council members of the Jewish leadership called the Sanhedrin. Like a deposition to get all the information they're going to need for the morning vote and trial. And they did that. And then they released him to the guards. And the guards toyed with him, punched him, who hit you, spit on him. Hours later, when the sun dawned, then the council met 
with a quorum. Somewhere in the temple. They knew what they wanted to do. They knew why they were there. Let's get them to say it and take a vote. And they voted death. And then they marched him over to Pilate's place. And after a while, Pilate concluded, I find this man innocent of all these charges you, the Jewish Sanhedrin, have brought against him. But of course, Pilate was fearful of the political situation of dealing with the Jewish people and things going wrong and it getting back to his superiors in Rome. He's had a bad history with them. So he did not release Jesus and he found a way out. Herod's in town. Jesus is from Galilee. Passed the buck. And he sent him over to Herod's. But Herod found him innocent. And Herod, you got to get it, he was getting more and more irritated as he started to mock Jesus along with his gang. His dislike for Jesus was growing. But nevertheless, Herod did not find him guilty of the charges, and so he sent him back over to Pilate's. And that's where we pick up now in verse 13 of Luke 23. Pilate then called together the chief priest and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. So look, Nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and then I'm going to release him. So Pilate's Roman legal mind has concluded that the charges against him were groundless. As also Herod concluded. And so Pilate here again attempts to save Jesus. He says, Herod and I both agree he's not guilty of any of your charges. But Pilate feels this dicey political situation he is in with the Jewish nation that he is ultimately over. And the crowds of Jews are growing in that courtyard of Pilate. And so he thinks, look, if I can just go ahead and have him scourged, which is a brutal beating, this Jesus will flee town. He will be hidden for a long time. He does not want to have that happen again. And they're going to know that. Maybe this will satisfy this Jewish council. That's why he says in verse 16, I will therefore punish and release him. Now that flogging of punishment that he's saying, I'll do this to him, making some kind of compromise, it was brutal. That's why they used it, Rome. It was a deterrent. It makes a person think twice about ever getting in trouble with Rome again. And so Pilate's hope is that this would calm the bloodthirst of the Jews 
at this point. He's been tortured. We're gonna let him go. He's not gonna cause any more problems. Pilate is actually trying to save Jesus' life. Don't get me wrong, it's not because Pilate's a good guy. We saw last week he is not a good man. Pilate is a brutal man who made some stupid blunders as a governor over the Jews that we saw last week. So then, why is Pilate trying to not have Jesus put to death? I'm going to offer four reasons, not one or the other, but I think all four of these are just coming together to show the tension that's going on the inside of Pilate. First is this, he's a Roman. And Rome prided itself on even-handed justice. And he's concluded there is no solid evidence against him as a revolutionary insurrectionist. That is, a person who is leading a rebellion against the government. He says he's innocent of these charges. That's the first reason. Second, I think, is if Pilate could render a just verdict that was displeasing to the Jewish Sanhedrin, then he would love to. He hated these guys. Third reason he's having this tension is that he has a wife. And his wife had a dream that night. Matthew is the only Gospel that tells us this part of these happenings. So if you'll turn to Matthew 27 for a moment. In Matthew 27, (coughs) verse 19, he tells us, Besides this, while he, Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. What was her nightmare? He doesn't tell us. Was it something like the dream that the prophet Daniel had? And somehow she saw that this Jesus of Nazareth preacher, who's very popular and becoming famous, is one like a son of man coming up to the Ancient of Days to inherit an unending, everlasting kingdom, as Daniel 7 says. We don't know. Did she see some kind of apocalyptic vision with beasts coming out of the ocean and declaring that Jesus of Nazareth is absolutely sinless and pure, perfectly righteous? We don't know. Did Herod's wife already know a bunch about Jesus? Had she heard Him preach? Did she and her lady friends talk about Him? We don't know. It doesn't say. But her message to her husband was clear. Honey, he's innocent. He's righteous. So, figure out how to do it, but you need to get out of this situation 
as fast as you can. That's the third reason. And then finally the fourth is that we also know that Pilate began to have some kind of spiritual fear. John's Gospel tells us. I want you to turn to John chapter 19 for a moment. John lets us know starting in verse 7 of chapter 19. The Jews answered him, We have a law, Pilate, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you? And authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And then John says, From then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus. So we know Pilate did not want to have Jesus killed. He believed he was innocent of the charges as also Herod believed. But we know Pilate was also unnerved by his wife's dream. And then Jesus' words to him added to his sense of fear. He wanted to save Jesus from death. And yet, by this time now, a little later in the morning, the leadership of the Jews, the official council, were no longer alone. The crowds of the people had been growing. Pick up at verse 18 of Luke 23. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, Jesus, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify Him! Now, let me pause on Barabbas for a second. Because that's all Luke tells us. Give us Barabbas! But all three of the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, fill in the details of what was going on here. So, I'm going to turn to Mark 15 for a moment, where he has a good summary of what this whole Barabbas thing was about. In Mark 15, starting with verse 6, we read, Now, at the feast, he, Pilate, used to release for them one prisoner for whom they, the Jews, asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection 
was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For Pilate perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release for them Barabbas instead of Jesus. And Pilate again said to them, And what shall I do with the man you call King of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify Him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has He done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify Him! Now, if you've been with us through Luke for three years, Don't miss the picture Luke is painting here. Throughout Jesus' ministry, the populace, the people, the crowd of the Jewish nation was acting constantly as the buffer between the Jewish leadership and Jesus. And now, The crowds have grown. Those crowds, the people, and they are also shouting. Crucify Him! Look at verse 13 for a minute in our text. See verse 13? Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers. These are parts of the Jewish leadership here. Of the Sanhedrin. And then the word, and the people. And in verse 18, he says, They all, including the people, cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. A week earlier, Luke said, just look back there to chapter 19, starting in verse 37, Jesus is on a donkey coming into Jerusalem, and he writes, as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of His disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That's the crowd. And then in verse 47 of chapter 19, Luke tells us, And Jesus was teaching daily in the temple. This is just all within this week. Teaching daily in the temple. Now here's the leadership. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people, their leadership, were seeking to destroy Him. But. See the but? But they did not find anything they could do because all the people were hanging 
on his words. And then in chapter 20, verse 6, Luke said about the leadership, when they asked Jesus a question, he says, I'll answer you if you answer my question. John was the John the Baptist sent from heaven or from men, and now they're stuck. And so they have a deliberation with each other saying, But if we say from man, all the people will stone us, the leaders, to death. Because they're convinced John is a prophet. And so they cowered out and refused to answer the question. And then in chapter 21, verse 37, Luke tells us, And every day, Jesus was teaching in the temple, but at night He went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, day after day, all the people came to Him in the temple to hear Him. And in Luke 22.2, we read, And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put Jesus to death because they feared the people, the crowds. And that's when they finally got a contract going with Judas. And then verse 6 says, So he, Judas, consented and sought an opportunity to betray Jesus to them, the leadership, in the absence of a crowd. So the crowd has always been acting as this buffer and protection, causing fear in the leadership. But now we read, the crowd is here, and as mob rule often works. Let me read it from Matthew 27. Start with verse 25. Matthew says to us, in verse 20, Now the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. Why not? It's not the Jesus they saw teaching. His face is all bruised and bloodied. He's a wreck. And he's in chains. The governor again said to them then, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas! Pilate said to them, What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let Him be crucified. And Luke tells us back in our text, verse 20, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify Him! Okay, so since Jesus has gotten back from Herod's to Pilate's, He has two times tried with His political messies in to free Jesus. And now pick, look at verse 22. So Luke tells us, a third time, Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. 
Pilate is baffled. What in the world is happening here? He's just so confused. Why are these people, these Jewish people in this Jerusalem so bloodthirsty for this guy? And so he tries one more attempt. Oh, look, I have him flogged, for goodness sake. He's innocent, but I still have him flogged. And then I'm going to release him. It's got to satisfy you. They didn't do it. Let's get some more insight. First from John's Gospel. He gives us a little bit more detail of other words that were said with the crowds and shouting and how they were blackmailing Pilate. In John 19, verse 12, he says, But the Jews cried out, Pilate, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king like Jesus opposes Caesar. They knew where to get him. And with that, also there was the fear rising in Pilate that this is turning into a riot. Matthew lets us know that. In Matthew 27, starting with verse 24. So Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning. And so, he took water. And he washed his hands in public before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then Pilate released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered Him to be crucified. Pilate caved in. As Luke simply puts this, starting with verse 23, but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that He should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they had asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Pilate caved in to social pressure. And why not? He can fall back on his words. What is truth? Really? Culture. Circumstances dictate really what is just. 
That's why we have a term today called social justice. As if justice needed an adjective. Times, situations dictate what's right and wrong, just, don't they? Beware of Pilate's relativism. Well, yes, Jesus may be technically innocent of these charges that the Jewish nation has leveled against Him. But I, Pilate, have bigger problems here. And after all, if, if I say with my authority as governor, in, Jesus is not a Roman citizen, I have absolute control here, if I say crucify Him, well then it is true. It, it is legal. And He legally in that sense deserves to die because I, Pilate, Say so. Beware of Pilate's relativism. Beware of hearing truth. Scriptural truth. And then fudging on it. Well, I know it says that. I know Jesus says, follow me this way, not that way, but hmm, it doesn't really apply to me in not, in, not in this situation, not in this relationship. I'm serious with her. She's my girlfriend. Or he's my boyfriend. Come on. I mean, look, there's more to Christianity than merely trusting God's Word and His promises and obeying Him. Come on. Life is very complex after all. To be a believer is to come to the truth. As Jesus said to Pilate, quote, Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. As Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus backed up that claim about truth by fulfilling the Old Testament Scriptures. By being the sinless human being who would lay down His life in death as the unblemished, innocent Lamb of God in order to redeem sinners. So along with the cowardice of Pilate 
and the anger of the Jews, Jesus was fulfilling what He came to do. To save undeserving sinners. Guilty sinners. Much like that wretched, miserable thief and murderer, Barabbas. And so before I close, what I want to do with this time is say, let's see the Gospel here. This custom at Passover of the Roman governor releasing a Jewish prisoner was no accident. It was a providential sovereign, orchestrated picture. It was a parable of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Barabbas is a type of all those wretched sinners who are living in rebellion against God, and yet, while they are still in rebellion, Christ comes. He sets them free because He is their substitute who receives the capital punishment of heaven. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the story of this historical moment. And so what we see in our text those who judge Jesus and condemn Him will be condemned. No, 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 I'm neutral. No such thing. As Jesus said, if you are not with Me, you are against Me. And we also see all those people, those wretched sinners like I, all who have Jesus as their substitute will be set free forever. So I want us to notice four parallels here of Barabbas with every person who is being saved by Jesus. Like the Apostle Paul who was persecuting Christians because of their belief in Jesus. Persecuting them to prison and to death. And as Barabbas one day, Jesus came and released him. Because Paul, I was your substitute. And Paul knew that for the rest of his life and in the resurrection for eternity, he would never have anything to boast about. Paul, tell us about yourself. And when he does, this is how he speaks. I am unworthy of any of this glorious goodness that the Lord Jesus is showing to me. 
I am, he says, the chief of sinners. That's how a Christian talks when they get it. So first parallel then that we see here with Barabbas is this. Barabbas deserved to die. He was in rebellion against the state. He led an insurrection, an uprising, and it resulted in people being murdered. He was also just a common thief, according to the Gospel of John. And what is ironic here, and it is God-purposed irony, is that Barabbas was actually guilty of the crime of insurrection that Jesus was accused of by the Sanhedrin. Barabbas should have been on that cross that day. You just picture maybe knowing his stroke of luck that hours later he said, let me go outside the city and look at Golgotha. Saw a view of three people dying, knowing the guy in the middle was that Jesus guy, which was his stroke of luck and why he was free. Barabbas is us. This is how Paul says it in Ephesians 2. To everyone who has come to faith in Jesus, he says to us, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, all of us Christians, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were by our very nature children, not of pilots, but children of God's wrath. We are all guilty as charged before God's courtroom. As Romans 3.23 declares, For all, everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as he goes on in Romans, and the wages of sin is death. Eternal death. And so like Barabbas, We deserve God's sentence of death. That's the first parallel. The second is this. Barabbas did absolutely nothing to earn his pardon. He was not released on parole for good behavior in Pilate's prison. He did not cut a deal that morning with Pilate. If you let me go, I will promise to clean up my life. I'll do this and that and the other if you let me 
go. No, but the circumstances that we saw of His pardon were totally out of His control. Totally apart from anything He could have done. He contributed nothing to His release from death that day. All He could do is receive the pardon and walk away free. And then on, He could never look back on that day and congratulate Himself. Because look, I avoided execution. It was done in spite of Barabbas. It was free grace. And that's exactly how God's salvation is offered to every sinner. If you think you deserve it, or even if down the road you think, somehow I can offer to pay it back, then you don't yet understand the Gospel. Barabbas did nothing to earn it or pay it back. The third parallel is this. Jesus died in Barabbas' place. See verse 18? But they all cried out together, Away with this man Jesus and release to us Barabbas. He received a pardon and Jesus died instead of him. In place of him. This is Christianity. This is the good news that the Gospel proclaims. We all deserve to die an eternal punishment for our sins. But Jesus, the innocent Lamb of God, took our place on the cross as our substitute. That's what Jesus meant when He declared The Son of Man, referring to Himself, came into the world not to be served by you, but to serve you by giving His life over to death as a ransom price for many. And the Holy Spirit will have the Apostle Paul summarize all that later in Romans 3 as he writes, For all people, Jew and Gentile, that includes everybody, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now he's referring to those who are being saved. And out of those bunch... They are justified, pardoned, set right with the state 
or with the court of God. They are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now get it. Picture Jesus before Pilate and the crowd. And He delivered Him over to be crucified. Picture it. This redemption is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. And it's to be received one way. By faith. Has your heart ever leapt at that message? For some of you, the message you've heard because you were raised in a Christian family and you assumed it almost as part of your culture has your heart leapt at the glory of what that means for you, the sinner. Propitiation. He put Jesus forward as a propitiation. That means as that substitutionary sacrifice that happened throughout the world in paganism and in the Old Testament instructions on substitutionary lambs and goats and bulls. He put Jesus forward there where the wrath of God, the punishment against sinners would be poured out on the only human being who happens to be the eternal God, the only human being who lived perfectly righteous before Him in all His humanity, sinless. It is there the substitution was made. He bore the wrath of God that should have fallen on all of His sheep. He satisfied the justice toward the penalty of our sin. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, It is for our sake that God made Jesus to be the sin offering, the one who knew no sin Himself, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So if you just simply ask, okay, what we've been seeing with the, these trials, and now it's going to lead into the scourging and the crown of thorns and the crucifixion. You ask, why though? Why the cross? The Bible answers it simply this way in Romans 3.26. This is why. It was to show God's righteousness at the present time. Okay, stop for a second before I finish the verse. God is holy. He is eternally happy and fulfilled 
His happiness is in the joy He has in Himself. As the Father has delighted in the Son without beginning. And the Son, seeing the reflection of all the, 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 the perfectness and omnipotence and beauty and holiness in the Father, have been eternally satisfied that that community of the Godhead has self, been its own self-existent third person of the Trinity. The Spirit of God. God in creating humanity made as a reflection, though creature, as a reflection of His image. And when sin comes into the world, cannot take sin lightly. That would be the same as saying, I don't take myself, God, seriously. I don't really love myself. I don't take holiness seriously. He could never do it and never will do it. Don't ever count on it. Don't ever bank on it. And Paul in Romans 3 had been laying out, there's a problem here. God has been passing over sins for centuries. He sends a prophet to David who committed adultery and was implicit in murder. And the prophet says, I have a word from God. I have put away your sin. (laughs) And it's just unjust. And what Paul is explaining in Romans 3 is, because of all the sins he's passed over, it was not unjust. It was only because from the foundation of the world, God had always purposed to send His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to stand before Pilate and Herod, the Sanhedrin, and be nailed to a cross. And on that basis, David's sins were put away. God is not unrighteous in forgiving sins. He is absolutely righteous. Let me go back to the verse. For our sake... He made Him... Wrong verse. Romans 3.26 It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that it will be clear that He, God, is just. Here's the good news of the Gospel. He is just when at the same time He is the justifier of sinners. He is the justifier of the person who has faith in Jesus. Because He's not sweeping sin under the rug. He dealt with it with a substitute. His own eternal Son in true humanity took it all. So if... Your eyes have seen the truth and the beauty of this great news of Jesus. Then because you believe in Him, His death means that you will never face God's condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1 declares. And the final parallel of Barabbas is an irony that is purposed by God. And that is this. 
The name Barabbas means son of the Father. Bar, you know that, right? It means son. Simon, Bar Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. Barabbas. Bar, son. What's the second part? Abba, Father. Son of the Father. And so what is happening here? The real Son of the Father, Jesus, suffered and died as a criminal. While the real criminal, named Son of the Father, went free from the wrath of God. Barabbas went free because of Jesus. That's the Gospel. Amen, hallelujah. You can do nothing to save yourself. Jesus alone fully paid the penalty that we really deserved. You can only receive it with a heart of faith, meaning a heart that says... It's not only true, but it is desirable to me. Thank you. When that happens, you realize, if you read the Bible right, God caused me to be born again. To see and embrace the truth. Now, here's the problem, is that our human pride and our sin, it wants to say, let me help a little bit. Let me do my part. Come on, maybe even down the road in my Christianity, this salvation could be a joint venture between me and you, God. Sorry, Barabbas. You're deceived. You did nothing, Barabbas, to gain your life any more than Christians did to gain theirs. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace, for by grace, you have been saved through your heart of faith. And this, all of that, is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of your works so that no one who is being saved may boast. That's the Gospel. Jesus is saying loudly and clearly throughout all of Scripture and through our text this morning to every sinner, it's my life for yours. It's my righteousness, my purity in place of your sin. Will you take it? There is no other way. I'm going to close with the way the Holy Spirit says it. In Hebrews 9, 27 to 28. 
And just as it has been appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, He will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin then, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Be a person in how you think, how you act, how you live, and how you repent as an ongoing sinner. Be a person who is eagerly waiting for His return. Father, You are so good. You, You who did not spare Your own Son, but delivered Him up for us all who believe. And thus we can be absolutely sure and confident no matter what pains and trials and persecutions and horrible deaths that might lay before us. How shall you not freely by Jesus give us all things? For nothing can separate us from the love of Christ.